All right, I, as, I was, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I, I started thinking about Narnia. And you're probably like, what? I, and so bear with me, okay, I'm going somewhere with this. So, so Narnia is, is a pretty big deal, right? As, as far as fictional Christian literature goes, Narnia is, is, is a big deal. Now, I come from a long line of, of just Neanderthals, so... Bedtime stories and, and reading at home weren't really a thing in, in, in my house. And on top of that, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so this, this Narnia thing was brand new to me. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anything about the story, what it was about. I knew nothing. And when the movie came out, my wife was like, we need to go see that. Because she's, she's much smarter than I am, much prettier than I am, right? And so she had read the book. She knew what it was about. She said, we need to go see this movie. I said, okay, so we're sitting there in the theater, and I'm just, this is a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Narnia by now, The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is your fault, okay, that I'm going to ruin this for you. So we're sitting there in the movie theater, and we're watching it, and, and it gets to the point where they're, they're going to kill Aslan, right? And I've never seen this before. I have no idea what's going on, and I'm like, if they kill him, I'm leaving. I've never done this in a movie before. I've never been, like, upset or anything like that, like, I could get up and leave. I'm like, if, he, if Aslan dies, I'm, I'm out of here. They kill him. Sorry, it's a spoiler again. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your fault, okay? They kill Aslan. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. And so I go to get up, and she grabs my arm, and she pulls me back down. She's like, he's not dead. I'm like, he's dead. They killed him. And I've got tears coming, you know, and I'm like, and she's like, he's not dead. And so if you've seen the story, if you've read the books, you know Aslan is a representation of Jesus Christ, and, and, and he is resurrected. And, and like my whole world changed at that point, right? I was like, why didn't you tell me this was about Jesus? I had no idea that what, what was going on here. And I was so upset. So anyway, the reason I started thinking about Narnia as I was preparing this is because this, this next section of Revelation that we're looking in, it, it reminds me of the Narnia story. Okay, not because Revelation talks about like a, a secret wardrobe that you can go through and get to this amazing place where there's cute, cuddly animals that'll talk to you. Okay, not because of that, but it does remind us, this, this section of, of Revelation does remind us that there's a whole nother spiritual world going on behind our world, right? There's this whole other, other spiritual battle that's, that's taking place and these spiritual things going on that we don't see every day, going on right, right in, in the midst of, of our world and this, this spiritual world, it influences and affects our everyday world. Okay, in all kinds of unseen ways, it affects our world. So we're, we're going to see this, this pretty clear over the next two weeks. And, and for me, I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, Revelation chapter 13. So if you've got your Bible, Bible app, go ahead and open to chapter 13, Revelation. But before we get into that, I wanted to just kind of set some context. And so I wanted to just real quick uh, go over some, some of the things in, in, in chapter 12. See, chapter 12 tells about this story of this, this ongoing spiritual battle that's happening. In chapter 12, there's this woman, okay, and this woman, uh, she represents God's people, okay, and, and, and then there's this dragon who's tormenting this woman, okay, and the dragon represents Satan, of course, and, and this dragon, he, 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 he goes into rebellion against God, right, and he takes one-third of the heavenly host with him, and they, they go to battle against God, and I, I don't know who thinks that's a good idea, right? You just don't, if you're going to go to battle against God, you're going to lose, right? So Satan does. He goes, he goes and battles God. He loses. God casts him out. He casts him down to earth. And Satan decides, well, then I'll battle Jesus Christ. I'll go after, I'll go after the Messiah. He loses again. He says, okay, I'll attack God's creation. I'm going to attack mankind. But God protects us. So the, the, the overwhelming narrative of, of chapter 12 
is that God wins a decisive victory. Okay, Satan loses. It's not close. It's not a close game. Like, they don't have to go into overtime, right? It's not. God wins a decisive victory over Satan. And we see that through, um, through Revelation chapter 12. But what we also see is that now Satan reigns on earth. Satan now has free reign to, to enter into our lives, to, to, to tempt us, to push us, right? And that's what he's going to do for, for the remainder of time until Jesus returns. Okay, so that's what chapter 12 sets that up for us. And so today, I want to peel back some of this, this spiritual battle that wages on in, in the world today. Now remember, the book of Revelation, it, it spoke to the people in John's time. Okay, but wasn't, it's not just them. It speaks to us directly. Okay, it speaks to us today, and it informs of, of what's going to happen in the future. It informs us of, of what's to come. And so we're going to uh, see all of this work in today's passage as we go through Re- Revelation 13. So uh, this, this, this sermon is called The Counterfeit Christ. Okay, this is, this is week four of our Revelation series called The Counterfeit Christ. And, and the, the first point I want to make today on this, on the counterfeit Christ, is that Satan, it's not going, we forward it one for me, <laughs> Satan deceives people through counterfeit Christs. Okay, Satan deceives people through counterfeit Christ. Now this word counterfeit, it kind of carries with it a negative connotation, right? It's counterfeit, it, it's fake. But really, there's, there's been some pretty good things that have been counterfeit, right? If you've ever uh, been to Tijuana or maybe even just close to the border down there, you, you, maybe you've scored a sweet Rolex or, or some Ray-Bans or some Oakley glasses, right, for super cheap because they were fake. They were knockoffs. They were, they were counterfeits, right? We, we, hopefully, everybody's had an opportunity to buy a Rolex for 20 bucks. Like, that's a, that's a good deal. Uh, one of my favorite counterfeits, though, uh, it comes from a, this, this weird phenomenon that happened years ago, like late 90s, early 2000s. There, there was a time during this period where you couldn't leave a, a store in the parking lot. Now, real quick, I'm not for sure if this happened everywhere, if this was a worldwide thing or if this was just Ogden. So if I'm, if I'm off base here, I apologize. But there was this time you couldn't walk in a parking lot to your car without some weird stranger coming up to you and saying, hey, what kind of cologne do you wear? Did this happen in Logan? Like, and so they would come, what kind of cologne do you wear? Or what kind of perfume do you wear, you know, if you, if you were a female? And, and, you, and you'd... you'd kind of give them the weird look, like, what are you talking about? But you would tell them for some reason, right? Like, oh, this is what I wear. And then they'd, like, grab their bag and they'd open up and fish around in it really weird. Like, you couldn't do that in today's age. You'd get shot, right? You just couldn't. And so they, they would fish around in it and then they'd pop out with this box of cologne that was a counterfeit of whatever kind of cologne you wore. They had everything, right? Well, they were always out of Aquadigio because girls love guys who wear Aquadigio. I don't know. They were always out of it. So, but it, it was, like, 10 bucks for one bottle, or 25 for three bottles, something like that. It was a crazy good deal, and the stuff smelled almost exactly like it. It was amazing. Like this, so this, this, these were counterfeits that were, that were uh, a, a great deal, a great bargain. They were a good thing, but here's the point. A counterfeit Jesus is never a good thing. Okay, there's no ifs or buts about it. A counterfeit Jesus is never a good thing. And in Revelation chapter 13, we see that Satan creates this counterfeit Jesus. And in fact, this, this pattern, uh, we see it throughout history, Satan using these counterfeit Christs. So we're just going to get into this. We're going to start right in chapter 1. It's still not going, Megan. We, we, thank you. All right. 
So chapter one, right, right at the beginning, it says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. Go ahead. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. What? What is, what, this picture is crazy. What John is seeing here, this, this is crazy. What is going on? And, and, and here's the, in the ancient world, the, the, the Jewish mindset was that the sea was, it represented chaos. Okay, the sea was chaos. Everything that came from the sea was chaos. Storms came from the sea. Invaders came from the sea. Okay, probably the, the biggest invasion that they experienced came from the sea when the Romans came in on boats from Italy. Right? So the sea represented chaos to them. Some see here in, the, in this picture that, that, that John sees in this vision that he has, some see in this, this picture of the beast, they see Rome. Okay, it's been attributed to Rome. But as we look a little bit closer, we can, we can see that the beast is personified even more through an actual person. See, John uses the image of, of the Roman emperor to describe the beast. Okay, he uses the image of the, of the Roman Empire. So uh, a few things to notice about the beast. First is that it has seven heads, okay, which isn't normal. Just in case you're in question, like seven heads is not normal, a normal thing. So this beast has seven heads. And this is the same way that they describe the dragon in, in chapter 12. Okay, it has seven heads. Now seven is a number of completeness. Okay, there, there's the, that magical number seven. So many people's lucky number is seven, right? So seven is the, the number of completeness. And so this beast this, this beast that has come out of the water is kind of the ultimate enemy who's aligned with Satan now. Okay, that's what these, these seven heads represent. Later on in Revelation, we, we were told that the, the horns represent nations, okay, and the crowns represent the kings of those nations. Uh, so this, this description of the beast, it, it matches well with a description of the Roman Empire. Okay, it has the, the, beast, the beast that says it had names written on it that blaspheme God. See, the emperors back then, they used to take on holy names for themselves. Okay, they were trying to be gods. The description of the, this beast actually comes from, from Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about these four hostile nations that are described as animals, and it's these same four animals. Okay, but now we're seeing a picture of all four of these animals into one beast. They're combined here to show one evil person. And notice that the, the beast, he receives his power from Satan. So what this means, it would mean that the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor received their power from Satan. Okay, it was a kingdom of, uh, of darkness. In other words, the, the political establishment in John's day was actually ran by Satan. Okay, the political establishment in John's day was actually being run by Satan. So let's continue on here. Verse, verse 3, it says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him. So as I mentioned, this, this, this beast is a, is a counterfeit Christ. 
Okay, and this becomes very explicit in, in verse 3. The beast experiences this, this type of, of resurrection. He seems to be fatally wounded, but then he recovers. So there's, a, there's connection here to this part of the story. There's connection here to, to Emperor Nero. It's because Emperor Nero, he, he committed suicide, and it was, it was the popular belief was that Emperor Nero would, would return one day. And so this, this story gets connected to him, but the, the, the beast has, has its own sort of resurrection. So the result of the power of the beast is that he is worshipped, and then in turn, Satan is worshipped for giving the beast this power. But this, this, this description isn't, isn't just of, of one counterfeit Christ from ancient history. Okay, this, 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 this is a picture of counterfeit Christ throughout all of time. Because remember, the Revelation, it spoke to, to the Christians when it was written. It speaks to us today. And it will speak to the Christians who were alive right before Jesus returns. This book of Revelation is, is good for all time. Now, I believe that this, this figure is what the Bible calls the Antichrist. Okay, the, the Antichrist refers to, to powerful, influential figures who are, who are guided by Satan but find success in the world. Okay, these Antichrists, they always find success in the world. The Bible tells us that uh, throughout human history there will be many Antichrists. Okay, there will be many Antichrists. Look at this passage in 1 John chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is already here. So both of these passages are, are describing, they give a description of the Antichrist and all of the Antichrist throughout time. Okay, both of these passages are describing the same thing, but there is a final Antichrist who will come. Okay, there is a final Antichrist who will come. But but today there, there's already a ton. There's so many antichrists around the world, around us right now, and there have been many throughout, throughout all time. I think it's safe to say Hitler, Stalin, Nero, were all kinds of antichrists. They all inhabited the spirit of this antichrist, and in the, in the last day there, there will be this final antichrist who I suspect will be more powerful than all who have come before. See, in fact, I think that the, the, the spirit of Antichrist is alive in, in, in all sorts of people who mock God. All sorts of people who, who, who mock God. I think of um, professors I, ha I had in college. I think of politicians. I think of musicians today and the way they speak out. I think of social media, news outlets, right? There's so many people who are mocking God. I think that they're mocking, it, it, it inhabited the, the spirit of Antichrist. So let's not accept any fake or, or false Christ. Let's, let's hold strong, let's hold on to the one in the Bible. So what we see here is Satan uses his, his people for his own ends. Okay, Satan uses his people for his own ends. And in this, this chapter, we, we see 
the weapons that Satan has to use against us to harm Christians. See, Satan really has two main weapons. We forward that for me, Megan. Deception and persecution. Okay, deception and, and persecution are the two main weapons that Satan has to use against us. Now, although the, the Antichrist gets most of the attention here, there is another beast in Revelation chapter 13. This is the, the beast who comes from the earth. It says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wounds had been healed. So here we find this, this second beast, and this, this second beast is also empowered by Satan. Okay, he's also given power by this dragon. And this beast, it works in a role to, to bring people to, to worship of the first beast. Okay, that, that, that's this, this beast's role is to, to bring people to give honor and worship the first beast. So just as, as the beast from the sea is described using Im- imagery of the Roman emperor, this beast can be, can be described the same way using imagery from the actual Roman empire, okay, the, the, the cult in the Roman empire. See, around this time, the, the emperor, he was worshipped as a god. Okay, the emperors were worshipped as gods, and, and, and so there was this whole cult of priests who followed them and promoted this worship. In some places, and sometimes, this, this worship was compulsory, okay? It was, it was mandatory that they worship the emperor, but we can interpret this second beast just as we did the first. In the first century, the imperial cult was, a, the, was this type of beast that came from the earth, and throughout the ages... Um, as antichrists have surfaced, as antichrists have come forward, there have been those who are inspired by Satan who follow them and promote them and try to bring other people to follow them. And just as there will be one final antichrist, there will also be one final false prophet. He did astounding miracles even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. See, this, this, this beast, the second beast, is often described as a false prophet, and with good reason. Right? He deceives the world and compels them to worship the beast. So notice what, what Satan has done here. He's kind of created this, this fake, false trinity. Okay, between Satan, that, the Antichrist, and this false prophet. Okay, we, we, we kind of have this, this false trinity. See, his work is not only to deceive, but he brings persecution on God's people. That's what Satan's whole plan is designed to do. Look what it says, verse 14. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it, so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. So this false prophet makes the, uh, a statue of the Antichrist, and then we're told that the statue can speak. 
Okay, so in the, in the ancient world, many were taken by, by idols and statues that were made to speak. Okay, the, 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 this was done by uh, magicians. People would go to see this for entertainment, but it was all deception. Right, just like magicians say, it was all deception used to confuse the people. But it wasn't just deception that was at work here, because it says, for those who refuse to worship the statue will die. Okay, and then the, the persecution, it, it continues even deeper. Go ahead and forward that, Megan. It says, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So now, now there's going to be economic sanctions put on these people. Okay, if you don't have that number on your head or on your hand or, or his name, you're not allowed in the market. You can't buy or sell anything. So now there's sanctions put upon these believers. In the next verse, the, the, the number of the beast is given. It's 666. And we don't know why. We don't know what that, we really don't know what that represents. Like all of us know that number. Like all of us know 666 represents the devil. Right? But throughout history, there, there's been all kinds of, of, of different descriptions and different ideas of why, but we really don't know. Okay, it probably pertains to something about the, the emperor, but we just can't say conclusively what that is. So what do, we, what do we make of all this? What do we do with all that? We see Satan's dual attack, okay, deception and persecution. He, he uses deception by feeding us the wrong ideas. Okay, that's how Satan uses deception. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? He deceived them, and then he got them to think, what, does God care? Is God even real? Does God exist? Does God matter? That's how he deceives us. And then he gets us to believe that things like money, career, Family gets us to believe things that, that, that those are what bring true happiness, that those things bring power, success. And then he uses persecution by, he, he, he raises up human systems that persecute Christians. Okay, this could be like systematic persecution from the government, or this can be just simply family or friends or loved ones who mock you for believing in God. For following Jesus. See, it doesn't matter how big or small the persecution is. It all comes from Satan. Satan emboldens these people to persecute believers. So in order to combat Satan, you, you have to know how Satan works. So what's the, what's the Christian response in all this? What do you, what do, you do with this? Well, the, the good news is that you don't have to know how to defeat Satan. Okay, Jesus will do that for you. Not you. You don't have to know how to defeat him. You have to know how to stand your ground. You have to know the ways that Satan is going, is going to come at you. But we don't have to defeat Satan. Jesus fights that battle for us. See, Jesus' role is to preserve his people. We find the key in how to respond to this, though, in this chapter. Okay, we're told what we do with this, how we respond as Christians. Go ahead and forward that, Megan. This means, this is right in the middle, okay, verse, verse 10, it says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Endure persecution patiently and remain 
faithful. In the, in the midst of, of the hostile forces of Satan attacking us, we are to patiently endure persecution and continue to trust in Jesus. This, this, this is a big ask. Okay, this is a big ask from God because that's not easy. That's not easy. And we live in America. <laughs> we live in Utah. Right? Like persecution isn't something that we experience on a daily basis, but when it comes, it's hard. It hurts. And I hope that when you think about the persecution that we experience, I hope that leads you to think about the persecution that Christians throughout the world experience. And I hope that causes you to pray for them. Because I can't imagine some of the things that people are dealing with just for believing in God. The hatred and, and, and the persecution that they feel. Like, I can't even imagine what they're going through. So this is a big ask, but we find the, the, the payoff in the first verses, verses of, of chapter 14. It says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. So this scene now, the scene we're looking at, is contrast against what we just saw, right, with the mark of the beast. See, Satan marks his followers, but God does the same. And so we see these 144,000 who are marked with Jesus' name, with God's name, and that, those 144,000, they represent God's people. They represent the church. They represent us. See, this is another one of those numbers that there, there's so much speculation in, in, in what it means and where it comes from. And, and, all, and all kinds of different faiths have different descriptions for what this 144,000 is. But it represents us. It represents God's people. And, 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 and then what happens next? The church, they, they sing a song that's like a torrent of sound. I'm going to read this um, just from my notes. We don't have a, tile, or, or a, a slide for this. Uh, but this is verses 3 through 5 of chapter 14. It says, This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies, and they are without blame. So this, these, these 144,000, they represent the fact that the purity of these 144,000 represents the fact that they haven't been polluted by the dragon. They haven't been swept away into the lies. They haven't bought in to the false Christ. They follow the Lamb, Jesus, as good disciples. They're set aside for God. And because of their faith, because of their purity, because of their devotion to God, they're accepted in his sight. Let me close with just one last thought. The truth is there, there, there is a devil who wages war against you. All day, every day. And if you were to face him alone, you'd have very little hope. 
Okay, we can't underestimate the power that Satan has in this world. If we were to face him alone, we would have very little hope. But then there's this Savior. There's this amazing person, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life, something none of us could ever do. And then he went to the cross and he died for us, for you, for me. He went to the cross and he paid the price for our sins. That's incredible. That's amazing that somebody could love you that much to know that you're, you're going to turn your back on him, to know that you're going to blaspheme his name, to know that we're going to choose our own way and go our own way. But he loved you enough to go to the cross and pay the price anyway. And he paid the full price. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant, he meant it is finished. It's done. He paid the entire price for us to be made right in God's eyes. And so my, my hope and my prayer for you is, is that you will stay close to that Jesus. That you will stay close to the real Messiah of the Bible and not fall prey to any of these fake and false Christs. Because if you do, if you stay close to that Jesus, you will be victorious in the battle with him. See, and and, and the big thing is you won't be surprised when suffering and hurt and pain come into your life. And more importantly, you won't be led astray by the false teachings of the Antichrist. Would you pray with me? God, this has been such a just interesting and eye-opening series as we, as we go through the book of Revelation. God, I know there's so much going on in, in this book. There's so much imagery, God, and, and there's so many different things happening. God, so I pray that, that you would just make, make it clear in our hearts, in our minds, that ultimately everything about this book points to your son. Everything we find in Revelation points to the Savior that you sent God, to die for our sins. Thank you so much for being a loving God, for being a God who cares enough, God, to provide a way for us, for us, no matter how broken we are, no matter how much we screw up, God, no matter where we're at in life, you love us and you cleared a path for us. God, we just have to accept your free gift of grace. So God, thank you for for being in control. Thank you for being such an amazing God. Thank you for being worthy of our praise and of our worship. God, I pray that as, just as we go through the week, you would, you would bless us with, with different boldness. God, that you would bless us for a heart for those uh, around us, God, who have different beliefs. God, and I pray that you would, you would give us words to speak into other people's lives, God, that you would use us to lead people to you. God, we praise you, we love you, we honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.